Blog Talk Radio. Gonna tell you a little bedtime tale, legend it will become. Burgers flying out the door, sail on. Two for one, no concern for the future. Living for today. Fast food bite on your way, lay it all to waste. The masses are afflicted now. Moo, mad cow, mad cow, mad cow, mad cow, line dance song. Hey, Sun Nation, welcome to the show on another Friday afternoon, first one of June for 2022. Some show notes before we jump into some interview today. Tonight, if you're looking for professional wrestling, WCWO holding night one of the two-day Dangerous Bull Don Basher Memorial Show. That, of course, at the Outlaw Arena in Indianapolis, Indiana, 1151 South Kentucky Avenue. 5CC Wrestling in Bellingham, Washington, holding the first of two shows featuring the Midwest's Thunder Kitty, HGW in St. Paul, Minnesota, Old Wrestling in Cleveland, Ohio, FGW in Hamilton, Ohio, Generation Next Pro Wrestling in Paris, Kentucky, Hood Slam in Oakland, California, ARW in Melbourne, Florida, Wide World of Wrestling in Sweetwater, Tennessee, Tomorrow Night, Part 2 of WCWO's Don Basher Memorial in Indianapolis, also the second of two nights for 5CC in Bellingham, Washington, Pro Wrestling King in South Bend, Indiana, 614 Wrestling in Columbus, Ohio, Supreme Wrestling in Madison, Indiana, Midget Warriors in Elmira, New York, TSW in London, Kentucky, WWA in Livermore, Kentucky, KCW in Knoxville, Tennessee, PCW in Lexington, South Carolina, Glam in Oakland, California, Gouge in Raleigh, North Carolina, GCW in Atlantic City, New Jersey, KEW in Frankfort, Kentucky, BST in Bridgeport, Connecticut, EWG in Dublin, Georgia, and rounding out tomorrow night with NYCW in Whiteboro, New York. Without any further ado, I want to welcome our two guests with us today as we kick off Authors Month. We're returning to the show. We have both Frank Culbertson and Mike Rogers. Gentlemen, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you. I appreciate it. Well, it's always good to be on your show. For our listeners' benefit, the uh, books that you have been writing. And you've been prolific this year with it. You have the Excitement in the Air series of books. The first one was out when both of you were on the show before. Second volume is out already. And my understanding is the third one is in the works, being uh, wrapped up. And you also released a different type of book called Katie Bar the Door. So, uh, Mike Rogers, I know you've been working hard at these. You want to tell us a little bit about what each of these books entail? Sure. Thank you. 
Um, the Excitement in the Air series is a series of interviews that um, I had done with my uh, bulletin, Ring Around the Northwest, and I the bulletin went for 30 years, and so I had collected quite a number of, of interviews in those, and we've released the second volume, and we're working on the third volume. Um, I also, in the past few weeks, have done some current interviews because I, I feel like we had enough for about half a book from what was left over in the in the interviews, and and uh, so I've been doing some uh, current interviews. In the past few weeks, I've done Grappler, Mike Miller, uh, Carl Stiles, and Joey Jackson. And so there'll be a, a little bit of new material that nobody has ever read before. So that'll be a, a plus for, for volume three. Uh, Mr. Culverton, you've uh, been very instrumental in the books as well. Do you want to tell the listeners your participation in this? Well, I'm uh, really pleased to be able to partner with Mike on these books. Uh, my job is to kind of do the formatting, uh, some of the editing of the book, sourcing pictures, um, going over with Mike what uh, we want the tones of the book to be. And, uh, you know, he has – Mike has so many pictures and so many notes. Um, the Katie Bar the Door History of Portland Wrestling book, uh, Mike talks about how he has a notebook of week by week that he took – uh, watching the television shows or being there live. Um, so that's a valuable information. Um, it's important to keep history uh, in the forefront of people. And uh, Katie Bar the Door really, really does that. The Excitement in the Air series is takes you back to um, actually almost hearing the guys talk uh, like they were doing television interviews. And so it's been a real pleasure just to uh, be able to uh, participate in this with Mike. Uh, Mr. Rogers, you are interviewing people to sort of get updates and get more material for the book. Most of these people you've talked to before when they were still active in the business as far as in-ring or promoting and so forth. Do you when you talk to people in the last few months, have a different sense from them as far as their passion level for the business or how they seem to look at the business than when you initially interviewed them? Well, the one thing that's interesting is the, the group of wrestlers that I've interviewed in the in the past month or so are all from the that late 80s time period and I I recognize that when I was doing the bulletin a majority of my interviews were of wrestlers who had retired and there were not too many interviews from wrestlers who were active during those that time period from about 86 87 on through 92 the end of Owens promotion so it's it's the work that I've done here in the last month or so, it's it's kind of opening up that window of time um, when I hadn't had any interviews through that time period. Um, I think that 
they're willing to talk now, uh, I think everybody still has their passion, uh, but it's just a little bit, they're a little bit removed from the business, and that um, maybe makes them feel a little more free to free to talk as well. Uh, Mr. Culbertson, you had a different path in wrestling than Mike Rogers did. You were actively a promoter of professional wrestling. When you look at the interviews going into the Excitement in the Air series, do you think that you see the interviews in a different way than maybe someone picking up the book and reading it that had never been in the business would have or even different than what Mike Rogers would have and you're picking up a little bit more from what the interviews are really saying from these guys or do you think that being a promoter doesn't really give you a different perspective on it? I think one of the, one of the things that I understand from uh, being in the business in some capacity as a promoter or a television announcer um, is that when guys are in the business, especially back in some of the time periods that Mike was just talking about, um, kayfabe was still something that they had been ingrained with. Some of these guys had been already been in the business 10 to 15, 20 years. Um, and so that was part of who they were. That was their understanding of the business. And as um, so I think when you read it, sometimes you read between the lines where guys don't want to come out and say this guy wasn't a very good worker. But when they talk about uh, guys that they preferred to work with, they come up with those names uh, because they don't want to badmouth uh, the people that maybe were still in the business. I think as Mike just mentioned, um, the era of kayfabe being what it is today, non-existent basically, um, has allowed those guys to, now that they're out of the business, the freedom to come out and speak some of their truths that they want to share before um, time is no more for us. And uh, um, some of the interviews that are coming out, uh, Mike Miller is really interesting. Joey Jackson, who wasn't a giant star here in Portland, uh, but had a decent career, and some of the information that he shares really gives insight into who he was and who his training was and, and why he moved around. So I think that part of the Excitement in the Air series is really good for readers to understand. Like I said earlier, there's also a different book that you released fairly recently, Katie Bar the Door. It's a different type of book. Mr. Rogers, could you go through what Katie Bar the Door is and what made you decide to write that when you did? Well, as easy as John Cosper, our publisher, and Frank, who edited the book, who edited the Excitement in the Air series, on my perspective, it was like, wow, writing these books is is pretty easy. It's like we just I turn it over to Frank and Frank turns it over to Cosper and uh on my end it it's I feel like I have the easy part. So the interview books essentially the work is as unless we do some new interviews, the work had already been done and it was just the fine tuning and the um uh, pulling them out and doing the final editing. But 
when I discovered that the process was was pretty easy, I felt like I really wanted to delve in and, and write this book on the history of Portland wrestling. And from doing the bulletin for 30 years, I had so many pieces of information. Going to Dean Silverstone's reunions for a number of years, I'd, I'd met a lot of the wrestlers from the Northwest and heard lots and lots of stories. And I, I felt like I could really do this book a, a justice, you know, and, and from the moment that I can remember um, seeing Portland wrestling, I had that fascination. Um, also, something inside of me wanted to wanted to compile the results and compile the the memories. Even even I tell a story when I was eight years old, I moved out of the Northwest, and I had realized that the wrestling lineups and the wrestling results were printed in the newspaper. And so I made my grandma save an entire year of sports sections so when I came back the following summer, I'd be able to see what had happened in the area. So I've always had that interest in in seeing the entire picture. So when I started, I thought that I'd start in 1950 and come to the end at 1992, but I felt like I could do more justice starting at 1960. I think that's the people who can remember Portland wrestling will remember a lot of the wrestlers that start in 1960. And so we go year by year and I would talk about the most important things that happened, any wrestlers that came into the area, um, you know, even, even if they were just passing through or just here for a short time. And then it's fun to, to see where they went from, you know, where they came from and where they went and, how long their stay was and, and just kind of try to figure out if, you know, what was going on and why, why their stay was so short or so long. Um, and Frank mentioned, mentioned the notebook that I kept starting in about 1972. I would just watch the wrestling matches and I kept a notebook and I'd list who wrestled in the, in each match, what the finish was, what the wrestlers said on interviews, anybody knew that was coming in, any anything that happened on the show, um, you know, I tried to write it, write it down. And I went back to that notebook over and over and over again, uh, just finding some of the smallest details. Um, one of the things that I was always fascinated about Whenever ever it happened in Portland wrestling is whenever there was any mention of anything that would happen outside of the territory, and uh, Adrian Adonis came into the area in about 1978, and I remembered on his first interview, he talked about the different wrestlers that he had wrestled outside of the territory, and I remember he said Dusty Rhodes, and I remember he said about three wrestlers. And, but I couldn't remember who it was. I went back and I found that interview on his debut and and the other wrestlers that he had mentioned. I think it was Wahoo McDaniel and, and I right now I don't remember the third, but but you know, it's just those little details that I'm I'm really tickled that I can bring bring forth and bring those memories back in this book. 
Uh, Mr. Culverson, you work with a lot of people that would be mentioned in Katie Bar the Door. Uh, you were promoting much after the close of Don Owens' original Portland Wrestling, but you did a lot to kind of tie that era in with what you did, and you used a lot of people that had worked for Don Owen. How important do you think it is for the Northwest to have books like Katie Bar the Door give fans sort of a history of wrestling in this area? Because a lot of people in the United States that aren't from the Northwest don't necessarily know much about the history of the Northwest outside of, say, Roddy Piper started here or Jimmy Snooker was big here. It tends to not really be something a lot of people know. So how do you think this will help get the word out on what Portland wrestling really was like as far as being instrumental in wrestling? That's a great question. You know, for a lot of people, um, of a, once you get uh, starting like 1980s, uh, professional wrestling was WWE or WWF at the time and, and Hulk Hogan. And um, part of it then becomes part of the cartoonish, more cartoonish type wrestling uh, than was prevalent in most of the United States and definitely not, uh, was not here in Portland. So I think it gives people an understanding of uh, what wrestling was um, and why it was, um, to understand the territories um, and the significance of television before cable um, and before the Internet, for sure. Um, so it gives people an idea that although you saw Roddy Piper against Hulk Hogan or, or with a coconut against Jimmy Snooker's head on, on Piper's pit, um, you understand where he came from, uh, some of the feuds that he had here in Portland. Um, to people who go back a little bit farther, it's important to know that you remember Tony Bourne, you remember Lonnie Main, um, and you don't. This brings them back to life, um, so that they're not forgotten. And history is uh, important for us all to remember. And uh, when you have an idea, when you read the book, you'll understand what wrestling was and what wrestling could be again. Um, it's a stretch to, to get there. Um, you have things like the MJF promo that kind of blurs the line of reality that people don't know if it's real or not. And when you read Katie Bar the Door, you'll understand that these were real-life angles and uh, real-life heroes and villains, and that's what we miss part of in today's wrestling is that good guy, bad guy dynamic. One of the things in the books that a lot of people will appreciate are the pictures that are in there. A lot of times, like I was saying, people that are outside of the Pacific Northwest aren't going to have a real connection to this area just because in the territorial days the Pacific Northwest was more or less isolated from the bulk of the country so you didn't have a lot of people outside of the area with knowledge of 
what was going on here. So the pictures are going to be new to a lot of the fans. They wouldn't necessarily have seen pictures of a Jimmy Snuka or a Roddy Piper from Portland. They wouldn't know what a Apache Bull Ramos looks like or uh, pictures of Don Owen himself, perhaps. But the pictures in the books, I think, really help tell the story of Portland wrestling. Uh, Mike Rogers, I know uh, there were a few people that contributed to the photos that you used for the books. How instrumental in your mind are the pictures in helping you kind of recreate the stories that are in all of these books? Well, I really have to say that uh, I think you're exactly right. The pictures are one of the aspects that I'm most proud of, especially with Katie Bar the Door. Um, I have a lifelong collection of, of pictures that we utilized, um, and I'm, I'm, I feel like everybody will, will or could have had pictures or know what Roddy Piper and Buddy Rose and even Lonnie Main and Tony Bourne look like, but I'm most proud of the pictures of the more obscure wrestlers that, that we've gathered up, wrestlers, like, wrestlers that I remember very fondly like Superhawk and Len Shelley and, and guys like that from the early 70s that, you know, this is going to be the only place that you will find pictures of, of some of those wrestlers like that. Um, we used my good friend Ken Hamlin, who, who's a good friend of yours. Uh, we've been friends for over 40 years, and we used a lot of his pictures. Um, in fact, one of his pictures towards uh, in the 80s is someone who is so obscure, a wrestler by the name of Terry Bradshaw. And uh, I was so happy to get that picture. He probably only wrestled for three weeks, and I think Portland was the only territory that he ever wrestled in. And Ken Ken had a picture of him, and and uh, it's it's just like that that I'm I'm so pleased that we can include. You know, this is what this guy looked like. Also, I have to mention there's a, a wrestling fan, a photographer by the name of Lloyd Phillips, and he went to wrestling in the very early 70s. And his pictures are just so key to the book. They're so sharp, and and he took pictures in black and white mostly. And they're so clear and so sharp that um, I I told him 10 years ago, if I ever was able to do a book on, on Portland wrestling, that I needed to have his pictures in that book. And so I'm so pleased that we were able to use a number of of his pictures. I think they really, really lend a lot, a lot to the historical aspect, and, and they're just great pictures. Mm-hmm. Now, Mr. Culverson, you, of course, had a few different roles in wrestling, but how important do you think the role of wrestling photographer is? I mean, obviously in the day that we're in now, wrestlers, especially on the independents, always want their pictures immediately after their match, and they're asking if anyone sent pictures, like, got pictures, send them to me. They use them for their social media presence and so forth. But 
in the territorial days, people didn't necessarily realize that these pictures were going to be what preserved the history of wrestling 20, 30 years down the road. How important do you think the role of the wrestling photographer actually is in the business, even if it's not something that people really actively appreciate? Well, I think the um, the role is still important today as a fan, uh, whether it be at a wrestling event, uh, uh, any sporting event, or you go to Disneyland, you want your picture taken with the characters. At Disneyland, you stand in line to get your picture taken with Mickey Mouse. I know um, fans, uh, and me being one for a long time growing up, wanted to have the pictures of their favorite wrestlers. I had pictures of the 8 by 10 of the claw of Lonnie Maine. I had Polaroids that came in the programs of uh, Luigi Macera and Johnny Costas. And so you could always look at those and see them. Whereas today, you can watch wrestling, you can DVR it, you can watch it repeatedly. Um, Roku Channel or other ones, other wrestling channels that are out there, you can watch endless amounts of wrestling. But you couldn't do it back in the day. So photographs were really critical to um, those memories that you could embed yourself in how important these people were. They were really stars. They weren't just wrestlers. They were stars. Um, then, of course, there was the financial aspect of selling 8 by 10s um, back in the day as a financial means. Or if I look at in 1974, uh, Dutch Savage had a match with Killer Krupp. Uh, where they actually went outside the arena, Savage dumped Krupp in the mud. Um, and there's a picture in the book of Krupp coming back in completely covered in mud. If you just describe it and say they went outside and they fell in the mud, you get a certain idea. But when you actually see what he looked like and you see the look on his face coming in, uh, obviously very irritated at, at the condition that he was in, that's what pictures do. Um, they say a picture uh, is worth a thousand words. Um, I think it's actually more than that. The other aspect of the uh, pictures back in the day was the promo pictures, so that if you uh, could show someone on TV, you could say uh, Ripper Collins is coming in. But if you showed a picture of what Ripper Collins looked like, you were like, oh my gosh, or Jimmy Snuka. To say Jimmy Snuka is coming in is great. Just show a picture of him with his physique at the time was um, unparalleled on television. So because television has, has changed, um, the media has changed, pictures have taken on a different role, um, but they're still important, and they're important for the fans to be able to, whether it's on their phone, to relive moments. And that's what we, in this book, Katie Bar the Door, or in the interviews and excitement in the air, it's reliving the memories that we have, and that's always a good thing. And if I can tell you that Mike Rogers, can I just say uh, why we did have uh, Lloyd Phillips and uh, Ken's uh-huh. pictures and a number of other people's. Uh, Mike has a lot of pictures that are in the book that are phenomenal. And um, so you'll be able to see some, especially from uh, the 80s on, uh, that other people just don't have that aren't out there on the Internet. Um, and they're in the book, and, and Mike has a, a lot of great photos to, in there. If I could jump in just for a moment here um, and jump on what Frank said, um, 
also in Katie Bar the Door, we've taken some of the um, different aspects of, of the interviews. Um, when we come on to a certain certain point in the history, um, Dutch Savage meeting Bull Ramis for the first time. Well, they they both have a memory. I've interviewed both of them, and they both have memories of that. And we we inserted those memories right at the right time period. And I think that lends a lot of, lot to the book as well, because you you have the facts of the of what happened, but then you also have some memories of the wrestlers inserted as well. And talking about pictures, I, I have a kind of a fun picture story. When I went to uh, the Portland Sports Arena and I would take pictures, I found the place that was going to be the the most optimal optimal place to take pictures, and it was just to the right of the crow's nest, and there were seats there. And whenever uh, in between matches or in between falls, the wrestlers would go into the crow's nest and have their interviews. And the cameras, camera and cameramen would swing their cameras over away from the ring, and now they're they're pointed at the side of the crow's nest. And where I was sitting, I was sitting behind the cameraman, but so I could have a direct view of the wrestlers if they did their interviews. And um, the crow's nest was covered in chicken wire. So you could still see through it, and it, it, you know, you couldn't throw things at the wrestlers and stuff. But I would stand up next to the crow's nest, and it was elevated, so I would be close to the cameraman's knees. I took a fingernail clipper, and I clipped out a circle of the chicken wire so I could slide my camera lens in, and it wouldn't be obstructed by the chicken wire. And that way, the wrestlers are looking in my direction because I'm right behind the camera and I was able to get a lot of great pictures as they were doing their interviews. It was well lit. And, you know, as long as I had a clear view, those pictures turned out great. And there's a lot of those pictures in the book, you know, as they're doing their television interviews. Well, at this point, my co-host coach, Mike Jones, the coach with the most coming at us from coast to coast is, standing by. I know Coach has some things to ask of both of you, so Coach, take it away. Hey, guys, con- congratulations on your third book now. Thanks, Mike. Yeah, Thanks, I, Mike. I really enjoyed... You're welcome. Yeah, I really enjoyed uh, Excitement in the Air, Volume 1. I'm looking forward to reading uh, Volume 2 and 3 when it comes out, and also uh, Katie Bar the Door. Yeah, I think you'll like them. It's we're sure having a lot of fun putting them out. Nice, yeah, and it sure was an honor doing an interview with you, and getting to be part of your first wrestling match in Tacoma. There, that's that's and right. Yeah, I, like I said, I still got footage of that. I got to dig out out of the archives, and I'll never forget that that same day. I showed you a picture of me doing the springboard poncha at my gym, and I loved your reaction. You go, wow, that's the springboard poncha. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I'll be honest, uh, Mike. I, I didn't really think you could pull that off, and, and you did it exceptional. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, and then you've seen it up close with you in the ring as the ref against me and Debashi also, yep. yes. Yep, absolutely. Nice. 
Yeah, and then, you know, we've been trying to plug your book. We do it almost every, at least every week or two. We try to plug it as much as we can, and we really enjoy all that you guys have done. I mean, I love the ring around the Northwest. I'm always hoping we'll come back someday. <laughs> I don't know. I think it's probably – I think it had its <laughs> moment. It's it's pro- probably not coming back. <laughs> okay, yeah. And then so you're only working on Excitement in the Air Volume 3 right now, right? That's what we're working on now, yeah. And then uh, now what about some Lonnie Main stories? Now, because I, I was just checking out one of his videos from 1978 where they said that Piper and Moondog were teaming in L.A. and feuding in San Francisco at the same time. But embarrassingly for the San Francisco promotion, both shows were airing in the Bay Area at the same time. I'm sure you knew that. Yes. Wow, I know. There was some overlap in those territories, and uh, usually usually the promoters would have a better handle on that, but I guess they they felt that, uh, you know, they would still do good business no matter no matter what and i guess that's the way they chose to handle it yeah, and i'm sure they did you know i do have a, a good lonnie main story uh way way back before ring around the northwest ken hamlin and i decided to do a lonnie main i guess you would call it a booklet it, it wasn't a book but a, a booklet and we worked on it together, and and this is before computers. This is this is probably about 1981, and we worked on it together. We listed the Lonnie's favorite tag partners and his favorite matches, and we listed every match that we could find, and we put everything, lots of pictures, lots of clippings, everything into this like a little booklet it and it was 30 40 pages long um on on typed and uh we sold a couple and uh you know mailed mailed a few out and and uh so fast forward a few years 10 15 years i was at dean silverstone's reunion and I was in a circle of wrestlers and just just listening to stories, and there was another circle of, of people and wrestlers right behind the circle that I was in, and I was back-to-back with Sean Main. And I was listening to my group of stories, also trying to listen to their group, their circle, what, what stories they were telling over there. And I heard Sean Main say, you know, I came across this booklet on Lonnie Maine, on my brother, Lonnie. And uh, he talked about how – and he, he didn't know that I was there. He didn't know who did it. He talked about how, you know, a good job, how accurate it was and, and like that. And, and he was really happy with it. And then – as our circles broke up, I, I introduced myself to Sean and said, I thought that I was the one who who had done that Lonnie Main booklet. And, and from that moment on, Sean and I became good friends. And um, 
he felt like I had done a good job on the on the Lonnie Main and was accurate and and uh, so I was I was really pleased that that uh, um, you know he felt good about that. I'm also pleased that um, excitement in the air is a quote that comes from Lonnie Main. Um, he would always talk about in his interviews. Um, mentioning whatever was coming up in the upcoming weeks at Portland and and he'd look at at Frank Bonama and said Frank there's excitement in the air you know and that that was such a catchphrase that that I'm happy we we grabbed it for our our series of books definitely what a blessing and then I'm sure you're familiar with Moondog's last interview I uh, I have his promo interview, yeah. I have seen a number of his interviews, and and um, I can't put my finger on his very last one. Well, I, I got it here. It's two minutes long, but I think it's sort of it, it's it's really weird. It needs needs to be played. So let me play it real quick. Okay. America's heavyweight champion. America's champion. You know what's so great? Guerrero, I have got you in a Mexican death match. And I am the king of the Mexican death match. You hear them people out there cheering me. They know they can't beat me. How many have I run out of town? I run Salvo out of town. I run the Falcon out of town. I run 10 or 15. And you know what's so beautiful? There's nothing in this world that scares me. Nothing. Nothing at all. There's not a wrestler that I'm afraid of. There's no mountain I can't climb. There's no sea I can't. I am Moondog. Moondog name and nothing scares me whatsoever. And I'm going to walk out of that ring. I'm going to walk out of that ring. And Hector is going to be laying there bloody, sweating, and shivering. He's going to be so scared of me when I even look at him. He'll shake. When he hears my name, he'll be scared. And you know what else? They got a match coming up in a couple of minutes, and I am going to fight the winner of the match. I'm going to put up a thousand dollars. I'll beat the winner of the match coming up in a couple of minutes here, because Moon Dog fears no evil, sees no evil. You know why? Because I walk through the valley of death. I am the toughest in the valley of death. That's why I'm not afraid. Hector, you have had it. Because you're looking at the king, people. You're looking at the king. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so I just thought that was, it was a little eerie. It is. That is a little eerie. Um, I don't know. It's almost like he knew or something, you know. But, you know, it is what it is, and God bless his soul. And, man, what a mm. career he had. Well, one of the Definitely. things about uh, – one one of the things that I love about Katie Bar the Door is, is the little details that you find out. And, and what involves Lonnie Main, um, you know, he died on August 13th in his, in his car crash, and on August 19th, the Portland Wrestling TV show started with all the wrestlers coming out to the ring, and they announced that Lonnie had passed away in an automobile accident. Um, but one of the things that's in, the interesting thing to me is on that night, 
Jake Roberts uh, came down and wrestled on the card uh, here in Portland, beating Maddie Suzuki. So things that just kind of are a for are an afterthought that people don't realize. But yeah, Jake Roberts actually wrestled here um, back in 1978. Yeah, nice. And then one of the games we play on this show, we we play a game called Word Association. So I got a list of some wrestlers here. I'll name the wrestler, and then we'll give each of you guys a chance to tell us your either your first impression or what you think about them, please. Okay. Okay. Dutch Savage. You Go ahead, Frank. <laughs> Um, from everything I gather, Dutch was uh, either great in the ring or not great in the ring. Depends on who you talk to. Uh, Don Darjean, uh, his interview in Excitement in the Air, he, he did not like Dutch. But a lot of people, Bull Ramos for one, absolutely loved working with Dutch and drew a lot of money. And I think in the business, especially back in the day, um, being able to draw money is what set you apart, and Dutch could definitely draw money. That's exactly Mike? along the lines of what I was going to say. Dutch Dutch was a little hard to get along with, and you will have a lot of people mention that, um, and then you'll have a lot of people say – there was kind of a age breakdown, and Killer Brooks talks about it. He says, you know, Dutch and I were a little bit older than the rest of the crew, and I, he never had any trouble with Dutch, and he was able to draw money. And that's – I think that, just like Frank said, that's the goal of, of pro wrestling, and a lot of people forget that. And a lot of the wrestlers put their feelings aside, maybe their personal feelings on maybe someone who's not their best friend, but they know they can make money with that person, and that's and that's the goal. Definitely. Okay, Frank Lonnie Main. Uh, one of my early favorites, along with Stan Spaziak, was Lonnie Main. Um, I went to the very first Main versus Born feud at Memorial Coliseum. My grandpa and uh, dad took me. And while I was young and don't remember much of it, except for people screaming their heads off, um, I knew it was a big deal, and I knew Lonnie was a big deal. And coming off the off the uh, ropes like he did, nobody else was doing that in Portland. That was a move that you knew the match was over. No, nobody kicked out of uh, the bomb out of Lonnie's uh, move off the top. Sweet, Mike. Whenever I ask people about Lonnie Main, there's always a common thread, he, and they will say he was just a big kid, and every day was Christmas to him. Um, that's I've heard that from a lot of people. A lot of people will, will say that. Unfortunately, he had a problem with alcohol, and at times that affected his work, and it affected in different places how far he was pushed. On the West Coast, uh, he was pushed just as hard as he could, as he could be pushed. Uh, you look at his career in in Texas and Atlanta, not not so much, not so much. He didn't quite uh, hit the levels that we expected that he could be able to. Um, as a wrestler, he was 
I felt he was very good. Um, it's funny, you, you think of what Lonnie looked like, and then you wonder, you know, as as wrestlers just look more chiseled today, if, if Lonnie would have success in today's wrestling scene. And I think he would, because his personality um, and his charisma, you know, would would overcome that just big raw bone body of his. Definitely. Okay, Frank, how about Don Owen? Um, respect. That's the word that comes to mind uh, with Don. Um, whether you, and you hear all the great stories, good payoff man, bad payoff man, but you always, they, everybody, didn't matter if they were making a lot of money or not much money, all were able to tell the same story about both law mills uh, shutting down, um, you know, he was going to have to close down next Saturday. This might be it. or being paid in quarters, whatever. So he had a great – he had a different type of sense of humor, but he loved the wrestling business uh, because he went through some really difficult times where business was down and it was changing, and Vince was changing the landscape of the business. So there was a love for the business, um, and so I respect him greatly for sticking with it and giving me all the memories that I have. Sure. And then Mike? That's one of the things that I tried to explore, and especially lately as well. You know, Don Owen was around for so long, and you always have people say he was a great payoff man, he was fair, he was a good promoter. And he had that pessimistic little side to him where where he would indicate that the promotion was probably shutting down next week and it had been for for 20 years but i tried to ask ask people um you know what more was he like did he rib um you know and and most people say no he wasn't much of a ribber he loved the camaraderie and that's what i'm finding after the matches it was not uncommon for him to get out the beer and have all the boys come and and visit i think he really liked that there's a uh, in one uh, of the interviews. There's a I think I believe it was Billy Wicks who was an old timer teased on that Don seemed to really really enjoy the matches and he teased Don, do you have your ticket tonight? And you know Don would go ah get get out of here you know <laughs> and uh, I think Don was a hard hard worker besides. Um, Portland Wrestling, he had his ranch and one of the interviews Nick Kozak talks about going down and trying to help Don on his ranch one day and uh, Don was, I think he was branding his cattle and he'd flip over a calf and somehow he did it wrong and he ended up in the mud and the, the calf was on top of him And but from the story that Nick Kozak tells he wasn't upset, he wasn't mad, it was just something that happened and and it was just part of the work and but that you know as many people that talk about Don, I really feel like you don't get a, a there's just not a lot of information, a lot of stories beyond those uh stories that everybody tell. I I, I kind of wonder if if People really knew Don. You know, you know what I mean. We know what I'm trying to get to. There's those yeah. superficial stories, but um, 
just not a lot of extra information about him. Okay. Now, Frank, what about Jay Youngblood? Um, Jay was Jay was always different to me um, because I I was um, you know Apache Bull Ramos and in how mean and vicious he was, and Jay was just the complete opposite, but a really solid worker. Um, and I don't think you know he had some success here in Portland, maybe not as much as he had in some other places, uh, but a solid worker. Uh, but to me, just he was a step one or two below uh, Bull Ramos. All right, Mike. Jay had two runs here. The first first run, he was very early in his career, and. Uh, he left, and he he came back. And when he came back, it was kind of a, a time period where Portland was a little bit down on the talent level. You know, you'd had, and I'm talking probably about 1981 or so, and you'd have Jimmy Snuka and Dutch Savage and Stan Stasiak and, and you know, guys that you really associate with the history of, of Portland wrestling. And then during that time period, right around 1981, a lot of the rest, those top top wrestlers, had left, and you were you were kind of left with uh, uh, Rip Oliver, uh, Fidel Cortez, and on the on the babyface side, Jay Youngblood was was on top, and it's a chance where he got a chance to to really shine, um, you know, and and get ready to move on to. You know, shortly after that, his tag part tag team with Rick Steamboat. Um, but I think it was a, a period of time where he was really able to step up and and be on top in the territory and and do those important interviews that you know he probably hadn't had a chance to do earlier in his career. Right on. Okay. Now, Frank, what about Debashi? Um. Debashi's really, I don't have much knowledge of of Debashi. Um, I've seen him wrestle a number of times. Um, I know he's done a great gimmick for him. Um, And on the local area, uh, had some talent or had some success working some of the independents around. Um, But as far as I know, a a nice guy. Uh, Everyone I know speaks uh, well of him. and definitely loves the business. And Mike? Uh, Tabashi's a jabroni. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I love Dave. I love Dave. He he uh, was a great promoter, a good wrestler. Uh, he, he employed me as a referee for a while, and I appreciate that. And uh, he, <laughs> he, we had a battle royal that uh, – Mike, I'm sure you were in that battle royal, and and uh, he yeah. let me participate in that battle royal, and and uh, that's a memory I'll always have. And I know there's no one else around in the wrestling business who ever would have done that, so I appreciate that very much. <laughs> All right, okay, Frank. What about Chris Adams? Um, so Chris was um obviously had success 
uh, other places other than Portland. I don't think he was used greatly here in Portland. I don't. Uh, his run here wasn't really long. Um, so oh he. Um, he was he was okay in Portland. He he was if I had to list my top uh, fifteen uh, wrestlers here in Portland, baby faces, uh, he would not be on it. But clearly very talented and had great success uh, in Texas, in world class, um, and a few other places. Uh, but uh, he was no he was he was talented, but I thought he was a little bland for uh, Portland. Okay, Mike? Yeah, I I concur with that. Um, there's no doubt that he was – sometimes the overall picture just doesn't translate. He was a very good wrestler. Um, in Portland, his charisma just didn't shine through, and I think that he was able to uh, really work on that. And when he went to Texas, um, his work, which was very good, and his charisma um, – became more evident and uh, I think that would just came through experience but yeah sometimes the sometimes there's people in Portland where you can't understand why they didn't do a little bit better and then on the other hand sometimes you're surprised uh, you know Buddy Rose it will jump just just to someone on the opposite end Buddy Rose did not have any uh, success anywhere else he was just pretty much an opening opening card person wrestler and for some reason when he came in he was earmarked to go right to the top so yeah chris adams um just everything just didn't fall into place for him here okay now frank what about bull ramos one of the top heels um um Especially in a singles capacity, you know he had he had so many tag team partners. I mean, he, whether it was Ventura, uh, even Savage teamed with him, Snuka, um, it didn't matter. They weren't going to last very long before they imploded. But as a singles wrestler, uh, his feud with uh, Savage, I, I don't know if it was maybe Mike can correct me. It was either four or five years long, uh, just brutal matches whether it was the Indian strap match, a coal miners glove match, or a combination match that they did. Uh, he drew money like crazy, and him and Dutch drew money uh, together. Um, for his size, and Dutch does that in his interview in Excitement of the Air, for his size, he was amazingly agile and quick, um, and he absolutely knew how to rile up the crowd. His facial expressions, the intensity that he had, um, you knew when he went into the ring, if you were at the sports arena, when he went in the ring, the tension in the building just amped way up. And uh, he's absolutely one of the best heels in Portland wrestling history for me. Mike? Whenever I try to interview somebody, I always try to see if there's something – a common thread that that can tie us together. And with Bull Ramos, when I interviewed him, there there was my wife when she was a little girl played with Bull Ramos's daughter. And so when I first called him and I mentioned that, you know, that's that's a kind of a 
thing that draws you together a little bit. And and uh, when I interviewed Bull Ramis, I had carved out two hours. I'd never interviewed anybody for two hours. And after that, I had to I had an appointment, and my interview went very well. He was really enjoying himself. And in fact, you know, when I had asked all the questions that I'd written down, he he kept saying, "Ask me some more. Ask me some more." He was really enjoying him. And finally, it got to the point where I said, oh, gosh, you know, I've got to go. I'm so sorry. He goes, well, call me back. You know, this was fun. And, and I always kicked myself because I didn't call him back. And uh, there was over the years, there's been things that I go, oh, I wish I could ask Bull Ramis this question. And, and like Frank mentioned, he's one of the top, top wrestlers ever to come to Portland. Okay, man, nice answers, you guys. Uh, running uh, short on the live show, we 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 can go a little little bit longer, so I think it's going to be fine. Uh, I got one more for each of you, uh, Frank. How about Don Leo Jonathan? Um, so that's going back a ways. Uh, Don Leo uh, has a special place for me because. My very first wrestling match I ever went to uh, was in the old armory in downtown Portland. And it, I know the one match I remember was Stan Stasiak versus Don Leo Jonathan. I'm really young at that time. Uh, and, I mean, I won't say because I'm 64 now, so that's a long time ago. Um, <laughs> and I can just re- – I remember Stan Stasiak I, back in those days – as a kid, you could go to the bathroom by yourself. Your parents didn't have to take you. So I remember going going in to go to the bathroom and coming back out, and Stan Stasiak was on his way back to the ring uh, for the second fall. And Stan said hi, which then made Stan my favorite wrestler of all time, of course. And uh, But I remember it was against Don Leo Jonathan. I remember uh, how strong he was, um, the airplane spin, the, the all the – the strength that he had was such a big guy, um, and he was super agile. Um, and although he he had some success here in Portland, when you look at him in other parts, whether it was back east or up in Vancouver, a top-notch guy, absolutely one of the best big men, really tall men uh, in the history of uh, wrestling to me. For sure. What about you, Mike? I can remember Don Leo when he came here to Portland, and he he came a little bit sporadically. He didn't have a full run because he he was also working in Vancouver, which was his home. Um, But he would come down, and I remember he was just so much better than all the other wrestlers in Portland. He, He just really stuck out. And I remember that he had a series of world title matches with Gene Kaninsky and and uh, the matches weren't on TV. One was one was on a Saturday. And I can, I can remember this, the newspaper article the next day, because I really expected Don Leo to win the world title. I, I'm eight years old. I, I'm expecting him to win the world title. Uh, and I, yeah. I read in the newspaper that, that somehow the newspaper worded it that Don Leo had – um, gone into the ropes and got entangled in the ropes and, and nearly strangled himself 
and that vision of, of I still remember those were the wording of the newspaper article, you know, 50 years later. And, and it's, uh, um, he was truly, and I, I was happy that I got a chance to meet him and interview him as well. But he was truly one of the, the best wrestlers ever in the Northwest. Okay. And then I've seen a couple different things on the Northwest Heavyweight Championship. I seen one thing years ago that said Tough Tony Bourne held the Pacific Northwest Championship 16 times was the most. But recently I just seen a, a promo interview back from Big Time Wrestling when they set, showed Dutch Savage won it 16 times also. Do you know who actually won it the most? I believe from title histories, I believe Tony Bourne did hold it 16 times. And I don't believe Dutch Savage did. I think Dutch held it more like maybe six times. You know, unless okay. unless unless they were trading the title on spot shows that never got recorded. And that's possible. That's possible. Like a Monday night in Coos Bay and then <laughs> another title changed the next night in Hepner, you know, that and that's possible. <laughs> All right. And then, hey, I just started my own podcast, the Coach Mike Jones Show. It's Saturdays between noon and one thirty. I'd love to have you guys on basically anytime you want to come on. I'm not really booking people for full interviews yet, but you're welcome to come on for 5 to 15 minutes, any, any show. Just uh, send me a message whenever you'd like to come on. We'd love to have you. So I'll do my plugs at the end. I'm sure sign has some more for you guys. Thank you so much, and I wish you all the luck in the world. Thanks, Mike. Thank you, Mike. You're welcome. Thank you, Coach. Well, uh, guys, I know we've been on for an hour or so, so I want to make sure you guys have ample time if there's anything you guys want to say, plug, or promote. So we'll start with Mike Rogers. Anything you want to throw out there, floor is yours. Well, I have the – there's three books on Amazon now, Excitement in the Air, Volume 1, and and just to recap, I know we talked about that one before. In Volume 1, there's uh, interviews with Luthez, Don Leo Jonathan, Bull Ramos, uh, Dutch Savage, and I think there was 27 interviews in that book. Uh, Excitement in the Air, Volume 2, has um, – Mad Dog Vachon, Ivan Koloff, Rick Martell, Ed Moretti, um, one uh, Buddy Wayne. One really cool thing about Buddy Wayne's uh, in that book, Nick Wayne, his son, has started wrestling, and he's traveling around the country every weekend. And, and I did a short little interview with him to kind of tie that together. He had a match on a Saturday, and we captured – a picture from from that night and Wednesday the Wednesday after that Saturday the book was out and available to be purchased and I you know I I just thought that may that may have been the neatest thing about the whole book that we had a picture from a Saturday and then the book was available for purchase on a Wednesday and I just thought that was really cool uh, the third book, Katie Bar the Door, is the history of Portland wrestling. Uh, we've talked a lot about that. I, to be honest, I couldn't be more proud of this book. Um, 
we worked on it and we put so many fine, fine details in it. Um, you know, we'd go over it and, uh, I I really think it's it's a good book. I'm I'm really pleased with it. And and they're all available on Amazon. We're working on volume 3 and um I think the interviews in volume 3 will be just as compelling. You know, we we I mentioned Mike Miller, Grappler, um uh Joey Jackson and Carl Styles. Those are going to be some never before read interviews before. Um also there's we came upon some old, old interviews uh, that were even done before Ring Around the Northwest. They were they actually appeared in Ken Hamlin's bulletin, Ring Around the World, and uh, interviews with Tony Bourne and Haru Sasaki. And uh, so I think that Volume 3 will be just as compelling, and uh, we're looking forward for that. All right, and I just saw Nick Wayne last week in Las Vegas, and he took the time to come up and say hello to me. Great, great kid. He's got a huge future ahead of him. I think his family going to be very, very proud of the lineage that he continues to build. It's really exciting to see him and wrestle and, and achieve the success as fast as he is, as he is, um, it's really exciting to to be able to watch him. Very true, and it doesn't help that he started when he was like eight years old. Exactly. <laughs> All right, and Frank Culbertson, same for you. If there's anything you want to say, plug, promote, floor is yours. Well, thank you very much. And again, it's always a pleasure to come on the show and and talk wrestling uh, 24-7 is a good time to talk wrestling. Uh, I will mention Nick Wayne just signed a deal to go over to England and wrestle. Uh, so he is now going to be international. Uh, he has a match coming up at Defy in Washington um, towards the end of the month against Dante Martin of AEW, which should be – I don't think the feet will be on the mat at all. They'll just be flying through the air. It should be pretty phenomenal. Um, and also uh, there's a, another group called the POW uh, running two shows uh, in Salem and Eugene this week. So be sure to check those out if you can. And I will pro- uh, prompt Katie Barr of the Door History of Portland Wrestling, uh, John Cosper of Eat Sleep Wrestle, uh, who is our publisher, said it is the single largest debut of a book in their history. It's a monster hit. So if you haven't bought it, please go out. Uh, go to Amazon and buy it. It's be a great Father's Day present if you haven't picked one up yet. Order it to get it in time. And if you have bought it, thank you very much uh, for helping support us. Hey, how and again, thanks for having each of you guys. Um, on Twitter, it's uh, at Excitement Air, um, and then uh, on Facebook, I, I know Mike is on Facebook. Um, as I am as well. Nice. Thank you. All right. Well, gentlemen, I want to thank you very, very much. It's always a pleasure having you on here, and I'm sure we'll have you back, and we'll be talking about the third volume of Excitement in the Air when that is ready. I look forward to it. 
fantastic work you guys are doing to preserve the history of the Pacific Northwest wrestling. We appreciate that tremendously, and we look forward to getting you guys on here. And, of course, John Cosper, former guest of this show as well. Maybe we'll bring all of you back on when it's time for Volume 3. That sounds good. Oh, Thank great. you so much for having us. Our pleasure okay, for sure. All right, Coach, you got some stuff as we wind this thing down? Yeah, June tw- June 18th, Strawberry Fest. Um, CPW is holding a big show up there in Marysville. Wild Lyle is going to be defending in his undisputed championship against Chuck Payne. And there's going to be stars from all over the Northwest. And then you can also check me out at the Coach with the Most and Coach Mike Jones on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter. Also, don't forget to check out the Real School Army and the NGW Green Room for hundreds of interviews. And also, we do in the Seattle Mariners and Cincinnati Reds organizational report. Me and Sign Guy have been doing those. And also, coming up, my uh, podcast tomorrow at noon. And then if you're looking for a car in the Auburn area, check out S&S Best Auto Sales and tell them Wild Lyle and Coach Mike Jones sent you. If you need a tow in the Pierce County Northwest area, check out Big Boys Towing. Thanks so much for everything, and don't forget to check out the Sign of the Times also. Absolutely. Uh, For the people in Roseburg, Oregon, that were looking to go to the Power Pit Pro Wrestling Show Tomorrow, that show has been rescheduled due to circumstances beyond the control of the promotion. So they will make up that date at a later time. So no show tomorrow in Roseburg. So I will not, of course, be there. But you can follow me on the Twitters, but not literally, at SignGuyHPW over on the Book of Faces, the YouTube, the SignGuy77. Chicken Bob also has his gram. He's very proud of his gram. Chicken underscore Bob underscore wrestling. He's got a lot of great pictures from his adventures in Las Vegas last week, including several from Double or Nothing. So check that out. Follow him on the Twitter as well. We will be back with you Sunday. One of our Pacific Northwest champions, even though he's not from the Pacific Northwest, Paragon will be joining us. Paragon, one of the rising talents in all of independent professional wrestling. If you're not familiar with him, you definitely need to change that. He's a phenomenal talent traveling all over the country now. So join us for that. Next Friday afternoon, we continue with Authors Month here on the show with the great Gary Morgenstein as he continues in his series of books, a dystopian look at the future of baseball in a post-World War III world. So he will be with us also, as you probably recall from his last appearances. He was one of the original Pro Wrestling Illustrated writers. Long-storied history with wrestling. He was also an executive with Sci-Fi Network during the WWE's time on that network. So join us here next week with Gary. He's always fantastic and a pleasure to have on the show So everybody stay safe out there, support your independent professional wrestling wherever it may be near you, and we'll talk to you soon.
Yeah.